And this is where we pick up our story. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the invitation to be in your presence. And we thank you again for this journey that we began last night and we're continuing down this path. Father, we just want to see, shed light in this place, this world, and sometimes even our heart of darkness so that we may see. These things we ask in Jesus' name, let everyone say amen and amen. So yesterday, last night, we talked about how God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden, right? Not in the corner, not covered up with some cobwebs or the angels with the flaming lightsabers. No, he has it right there in the middle of the garden, perfect real estate for his enemy, his opponent, to campaign. And we asked the question, why would God do that? And we learned that God is honest, God is transparent, God is real, God is authentic. He wasn't about to pretend with Adam and Eve that the world or the universe was perfect. From the very beginning, as he started his relationship with Adam and Eve, he wanted to be up front and let them know there was someone in the universe that was not happy with the way that he had designed things. And this person wanted to campaign. He had already won over one-third of heaven, and he's on this campaign trail to other planets, and planet Earth was one of them. And again, the question is, why would God do this? I know some of you raising children, when you're gone for the weekend, you are careful about what you leave in arm's reach of your children, right? Got that parental lock on the cable? Those parental uh, locks uh, on on the internet just to make sure, don't want to trust our 12, 13-year-old, our 14-year-old with any kind of temptations there. So let's just make sure that we monitor, that we check them. And it's so interesting that God doesn't monitor us in the same way. In the story of creation in Genesis, it doesn't seem like God has any surveillance cameras around. Because why would you have surveillance cameras? What's the point of a surveillance camera? What's, what's what's, What's the purpose of it? Because you don't what? You don't trust. You do not trust. So we have our surveillance cameras. We want to make sure everybody's doing the right thing. And it appears in the story, this narrative in Genesis, that God has no surveillance cameras because after Adam and Eve make the decision, remember we talked about this last night, they were tempted to become what they already were designed to be. They were tempted to be like God when they already were like God. Right? Selling ice cubes to Eskimos, right? This is terrible stuff. We learned last night that God has already given you everything that you need in order to be happy. He didn't create you as incomplete. He didn't create you as half creatures. Even Adam and Eve weren't, un- they weren't unhappy without one another. I can't stand people say stuff like that. Well, you know, uh, it's not good for you to be alone, you know, because, you know, you need somebody in your life. You need somebody. Every time somebody says that, they, they're quoting what God says about Adam. Well, when he talked about Adam, he said it wasn't good for him to be alone. That's because Adam literally was the only human being on planet Earth. God wasn't trying to be romantic, and we learned that last night as well. Because as soon as he created Adam and Eve for one another, the first command he gave them was to create a third will. Have babies. So God wasn't thinking about just, you know, them walking along the beach holding hands and stuff like that. So when people talk about, oh, I'm just so alone, I'm so alone, I'm always asking this question. You don't have any brothers or sisters? Well, no, I have brothers and sisters, but you know what I mean. I'm just so alone. I don't have anybody I can talk to. 
You don't have a best friend? No, no, I have a best friend. But you know what I mean. Somebody can like cry on their shoulder. Oh, you can't do that with your roommate? Well, yeah, I can. But you know, somebody can go to the movies with go out to dinner. So you can't do that with your cousins? Well, yeah, I can. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. You want what you see in the movies. I get it. So you're unhappy because you think that's the ideal. And if you're not with somebody, you're just going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Remember that, remember that parents, couples, remember that? Remember that, how, how it was at the very beginning? Oh, if I could just be with you, I'd be so happy. Remember those days? If I could only be with you. Right? Jesus, don't come yet. I want to get married. Remember those days? Oh, man, we just thought that was the end all be all. Like, we just couldn't wait. But if you talk to your parents, your parents would say, yes, I love your father. Yes, I love your mother. But you know what? Sometimes I hate them as well. I've had some of my best moments in life with her. I've had some of my worst, lowest points in life with her. Because that's life, right? Marriage can sometimes be so rough that when the disciples heard from Jesus' own mouth that, you know what, unless there is unfaithfulness in the marriage, you are not allowed to get divorced. You know what the 12 apostles said? Well, then we shouldn't get married. That's what they said. That's, that's, that's our peeps that we have to look up to. They're like, oh, I thought we could divorce them for burning the toast. You're trying to tell me it has to be that deep? Like, like. And Paul comes along and he says, man, I wish you were as I am, single. It's some bleak, you know, like, like outlook on love and marriage. And when you look in the Old Testament, you don't have a lot of good examples of marriage. Can I just be honest with you? You don't have a lot of good examples. God's not even setting anybody up. The only people he set up was Adam and Eve. I mean, come on, was there really any other choice? It wasn't like Adam was like, I'm going to take the giraffe. I got the giraffe. I went, <laughs> like that long slender neck, you know? I mean, there's, there's nothing there was any other choice. Right? God's not setting anybody up. Jacob, Jacob, when he falls in love with Rachel, it says she's a beautiful woman. It doesn't even say she has a nice personality. Beautiful. He said, I worked seven years for her. Then he gets tricked. Gets tricked by her father Laban and ends up marrying, by accident, ends up marrying Leah. Now, here's, here's the thing. He didn't even know that he was tricked until the morning when the sun was up and the, the tent was open and all the light came in, and then he realized it wasn't Rachel. My thing is, bro, you haven't talked to her before? Like, how do you just get fooled in the morning? It's like, oh, I guess we should have had a conversation, right? And then the father's like, hey, I'll still give you, I'll give you my youngest, so you, you can be with the oldest and the youngest, but you got to work in those seven years. And this romantic guy, this romantic dude's like, okay, that's cool, two of you, I got you. But it gets even more romantic than that. Because Leah, man, she's putting out babies, right? Just boys, 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 right? Ugh, you know? And then, you know, Rachel, poor thing, she's no, no children at all. So she's like, well, you know what? I'm going to do the most romantic thing I can think of because I know, that I, know, I know what happened. I know what your father did. Your father, Abraham, your grandfather, Abraham, he did this as well. So be with my maidservant. And I'll have children vicariously through my maidservant since I can't have kids. So Jacob and his romantic self says, that's a wonderful idea. I went from one to two, now three. And Leah's like, that's not fair. Take my maidservant too, Jacob. Game. Let's do it. 
This man who was in love with Rachel now is sleeping with four women. I'm telling you, the Bible's not our ideal on what really makes us happy in relationships. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. So in this situation, when God creates Adam and Eve, they were not unhappy. They were not miserable. In fact, Adam never even goes up to God and says, hey, yo, it's not really cool that I don't have anybody. In fact, if he wanted to talk to somebody, he would talk to God. And it's interesting that when he creates Eve, Adam is fast asleep and he meets Eve. God meets Eve without Adam in the picture. Eve, when she opens her eyes for the very first time, she connects with God, not with Adam. She connects with God. Her first homie, her first friend, her first love was God, her creator, and she didn't know she was incomplete. She didn't think there was, there was something more she should be having. It's God who has to lead her to Adam and say, there's something more. I know you're good. I know you're not half of a person. So God took one whole person and one whole person and brought them together to become one. But God didn't take half a person and a half a person and say, now form Voltron. I mean, form, you know. Form one per No, God doesn't make anything incomplete. So I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're unhappy single, you'll be unhappy married. Straight up. If you're insecure and lonely single, you will be insecure and lonelier in marriage, in dating relationships. It doesn't fix your issues. It'll be a little band-aid, it'll be a little painkiller, but guess when it wears off, you'll be thinking, why, why did I make this decision? Why did I, why did I hook up with her? Why did I hook up with him? I was just, oh, I was just so lonely and so miserable. And we never make good decisions when we're hungry. You know that, right? You never make good decisions when you're thirsty. You know this. When there's a famine in your life, that is not when you choose a mate. You don't do that. You want to make those kind of choices when you are full. You want to make those kind of choices when you are completely happy and in need of nothing. And then you make those decisions. And what's really interesting is that when you are completely happy, some of you may make this decision, I don't want anybody. I am absolutely happy with the friends and community that I have. I've been single, I've been married. I've been happy single, I've been happy married. And you want to be at that place, like Paul says, whether I am hungry, whether I am jailed, whether I am shipwrecked and all things, right? It's all good. So when the devil begins to speak to Adam and Eve, he, he starts to work on stuff that they were never even insecure about to begin with. And this is how darkness works. I talked a little bit about that last night. It's not that he was lying to them. The serpent wasn't lying to Eve and Adam. He was telling them the truth, but out of context. He says, you are not going to die, which was true. When they ate the fruit, they did not die. They began to die, but they did not die. In fact, the only reason why they would not live forever is where they wouldn't be allowed to eat from the tree of life. Because had they taken the fruit and still been able to eat from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. The only reason why they could not live forever is because God would not allow them to eat from the tree of life any longer. So they did not die, but they begin to die. So now it looks like the serpent is telling the truth. He tells them that God doesn't want them to eat the fruit because he knows the day they'll eat of it, their eyes will be open, which was true. When they ate the fruit, the Bible says their eyes were open and they noticed they were naked. Well, I wish he would have put that in a little bit of larger print. Your eyes are going to be open. Oh, cool, dude. Let me have some of that, man. Just want to blow my mind, man. I want to see things I've never seen before, right? 
And then you, and then, and then you, then you, you know, you take a whiff of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it's like you're seeing stuff you didn't want to see. Isn't that how it happens? Yeah, man, let me have this new experience. You're like, oh, that's great. Oh, man, that was so much fun. And then you got all this other stuff that's a part of the experience that wasn't fun. I never understood this, right? People were like, oh, man, you go to that party last night. Oh, man, it was crazy wicked, man. It was so much fun. I know, my goodness, we got wasted on my head, man. The music, oh, man. Those honeys were fun, man. Oh, I know. That, that dude was this. Oh, man, it's so great. And you just get wasted. And the next morning, you just vomit everywhere, all hugging the toilet and everything like that. And you're like, oh, man, I'm just so sick. I know, man. What happened last night? I can't even remember, dude. I know. I can't remember either. Hey, let's do it next weekend. You don't even remember what happened. And you want to do this again? Knowing where it's going to end up? This is the kind of stuff that makes no sense to me. This is like when I'm driving, well, in California, it's the 5, right? Here it's the 95, right? You can go all the way down to Miami, drive right, driving the 95. Is that true, right? Yeah, okay. So you may not have this problem. Your, your insects may be more sophisticated. But on the 5 in California, going up, you know, from San Francisco to Los Angeles, going down, you know, from, yeah, from San Francisco to Los Angeles, bugs hit your windshield. And a lot of them do. And my problem is this. I may understand the first, maybe the second one. By the third one, I'm like, what are you thinking? Your homies didn't make it through the windshield. And you have wings. Fly over the car. Fly under the car. Wait for it to pass by. But by the time your entire neighborhood is all over my car grill and windshield, what are you thinking? But this is what it does. This is what happens to us when we're in the darkness. We'll do these things that just are so ignorant and so foolish, and we keep doing it because somebody told us we weren't pretty enough. Somebody told us that we weren't good enough. Somebody, and so our insecurities take the, the they, 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 they just wreak havoc on us, and we begin to make decisions to try to make ourselves feel better about who we are. Adam and Eve were not insecure, but once they begin to talk to the serpent, they became insecure. I mean, I'm, the serpent was like, hey, yo, you, you, see, how, you see how Adam, your, your boo, looks at God? Yeah, I know, the creator, he's amazing. He doesn't look at you that way. <gasps> but he told me I was his one and only. Yeah, one and only, but look at the way he looks at God. But if you have this fruit, girl, you'll be like God. Adam will look at you that way. You know what I'm talking about. Right? It's little stuff like this, and it begins to mess with us. So when God comes, when God comes to them after they had fallen, after they had fallen, he comes in the cool of the day. And this is the trip. Remember, no surveillance cameras. God doesn't show up like, yo, what happened? I can't believe y'all just did that. He shows up as if he has no idea what happened. Now, I know this makes some people feel uncomfortable because they believe that God knew what happened. He showed up anyway, started asking a bunch of questions. He already knew the answer to, but he's going to ask them anyways because he wants to see what Adam and Eve were going to do. But he already knew what they were going to do. And, but, Listen, I take the Bible at its word. If God asks a question, it's because he wants an answer. And if it's a rhetorical question, then God will not wait for the answer. Right? But God comes in the cool of the day, and the imagery cannot be mistaken. He comes relaxed. He comes cool. He comes as if this is a normal day. When he does not see them, he begins to ask questions. And when God asks questions, let me tell you something. Something's wrong. Where are you? What's happening? What's going on? What, 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 what would you do? I can't, 
right? Adam and Eve, we, we, we heard you. We were afraid. Afraid. What do you mean you're afraid? You've never been afraid. How'd you learn that word? What are you talking about? Well, we were naked. We were ashamed. Naked? Who told you you were naked? Ashamed? Wait, wait a second. Wait. No. Wait. Wait. Then God stops asking questions. Wait. Wait. No. Wait. Did you? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And really what this is, is that they were voting for something. As the enemy was campaigning for their allegiance, they ended up voting for a new president, right? They ended up voting for a new leader. Even though God had turned over the keys to them to be the rulers of this world, they turned over the ownership to someone else that they believed could rule better and give them more. They became dissatisfied with perfection. They became dissatisfied with happiness, and they believed there was something more. This is the trip about sin. Lucifer, the Bible tells us, in Ezekiel chapter 28, was perfect in beauty, perfect in wisdom. He lacked nothing, nothing. Everything about him was perfect. But there's this thought, could there be something more? And once he sees God and realizes God is more, he now wants what he doesn't have. I was fine with my iPhone 3. I had just purchased it, finally broke down and said, I'm finally going to do the whole iPhone thing. You know, at first I was like, I'm not going to be like everybody else standing in line. I'm just going to be okay with my, uh, my regular smartphone. Finally broke down, got the iPhone 3. Man, that's like, wow, man, I'm glad I got this. I think it was the iPhone 3S. Oh, I'm so glad I got this. It's amazing. It's great. It syncs up with my computer so easily. Oh, this is wonderful. Great. And two months later, the iPhone 4 came out. It wasn't an issue until I realized the iPhone 4 had the retina display, so it was so much clearer. I kept looking at my iPhone 3, and it looked like there was Vaseline just smeared all over. I couldn't even... I was like, honey, I can't even see the text. You text me, but I can't read the text, honey. I have to get the iPhone 4. It doesn't make any sense. I want to answer you, but I cannot see the text. I just, it's so blurry. I was so happy, like, look, at I got an iPhone. Oh, that's cool, pastor, way to go. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, I'm just late. I'm just trying to catch up with y'all, right? And then I see the iPhone 4, and I am miserable. Something more, something better, something newer. And we keep thinking if we can have that, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be satisfied. Darkness messes with us. And it's so interesting that Lucifer decides to attack them in the same way that he felt tempted, right? Self, you could have more. But I already have this. Look, we rule the world. You could have more. But we're already made to be like God. Not really. You could have more. So God says, did you, did you eat from the fruit? This is, what, this, is, this, is, this is what sin does. Watch what sin does. The woman you made. Right? Woman, did you do this? Uh, the serpent you made. Hey, it's not my fault, his fault. You're the one that made me unhappy. You're the one that messed it up. You're the one, not me. I didn't, I didn't even have a choice. What are you talking about? Look, it was you, it was you, it was you. And then God takes responsibility. I got this. He pronounces what's going to happen in this world. He talks to the woman and says, listen, because you've made a choice to vote for a new president, I'm going to let you know you're going to see what it's like to live in his kingdom. It's not going to be pain-free anymore. Things that were supposed to be beautiful and perfect and to be a complement to your love and happiness will now be painful and at times torturous. 
Even the beautiful experience, we talked a little bit about this last night, right, of childbirth. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be perfect, right? Beautiful. Well, let, mm-hmm. Even work was supposed to be good. Work was supposed to keep Adam and Eve engaged, and it was like exercise and, you know, gave them purpose as they tended to the garden. Now that would also be labor by the sweat of your brow. And we begin to wonder, why in the world is the world like this? God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And God says, I didn't do this. Actually, you voted for this. I didn't vote for this. Remember, God gave dominion over to mankind, and mankind made a decision, and we are still living under the consequences of that decision. Romans chapter 5 says, because of one man's sin, death reigned. Because of one man's sin, death reigned. That's not fair to us. I understand. It's not fair. We're not the ones that made the decision, but check this out. We're the ones that still make the same decisions today. The reality is this, that God placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden without surveillance cameras. The reason why he did that is because he chose to trust you with the light. He chose to trust you with the keys to the Ferrari. He he chose to trust you to the keys to the house. He chose to trust you, and he did it, stepped back, and said, it's yours. I'm not going to put a leash on you. I'm going to tell you how life works. Listen, this is your diet. This is what works for you. Do not eat the squirrels. If you eat the squirrels, it's going to harm your body. Tend to the garden. If you do not tend to the garden, this is what's going to happen. God gives them the blueprints, the design of life and how it works most effectively. And if Adam and Eve decide to break apart from the blueprints, sin will come into the world. Not just through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because like I said, again, if Adam ate a squirrel, sin would have come into the world. If Adam decided to hook up with the hippo instead of Eve, sin would have come into the world. If Eve killed Adam for hooking up with the hippo, sin would have come into the world. Sin could have come into the world a number of ways. If they decided not to tend to the garden, sin would have come into the world. If they decided not to rest, sin would have come into the world. It could have come into the world many ways, but it came through the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And don't think for a second God put the tree there to test them. God put the tree there because he trusted them. And he still trusts you today with the choice. So what are you going to do? The Bible tells us that God, as he's making his proclamation, he says to the serpent, the offspring of this woman, although you will bite the heel of her offspring, he will crush your head. You came for my babies. I'm coming for you. That's what God says. You came for my babies, so I am going to come for you. And watch what happens. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Just going to do a little bit of reading here. Romans chapter 5. Paul, in this situation, is wanting to win us over. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is not about a test. Even though Adam and Eve were tested there, it wasn't put there to test us. It's placed there for trust. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is all about trust. Just like the whole, as we as Adventists know, the great controversy is about who do you trust? Who do you believe? 
And when we choose to sin, we're choosing, this is what we're really choosing, we're choosing a way that we actually think is better than God's way. We're simply saying to God, I don't trust that you have a peace that passes all understanding, so I would rather get my peace through smoking this. I don't trust that you can give me a high, something as, as great of a high as this. So when I tell you I'm going to hook up with her, this is going to be better than doing anything else you've called me to do. God understands it. He gets it. He gets it. Our, our minds are clouded. And so watch this. And we're in, we're in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. This is, this is one of, my, one of my, my, my favorite books. Romans chapter 5. Listen to what Paul has to say. And Paul is trying to, again, he's trying to convince you of something. He's trying to convince you of something. So let's just read this. It says in verse, uh, uh, verse starting with verse, uh, verse 6. Verse 6, right? Remember Christ said he would, he would crush the head of the serpent. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still what? powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. So while we were ungodly, God came to die. While we were ungodly, that's when he came. When we were powerless, that's when he came. But God demonstrates his own love. Whose love? God's own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do not miss this point. He says it's difficult to, to die for anyone. I mean, even a good person, right? Let alone an evil person. But God demonstrates his own love and that while we were sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were powerless, he came to die for us. Watch what he does here. Since we have now been justified by his blood, and that word justified simply means God pronounces us innocent saying you are no longer guilty. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? That's a good stuff, right? That's a good word. He says, man, look at if, if, if we have been reconciled by his death, the hard thing, the difficult thing to do, how much more will we be saved through his life? He, the death part was powerful. The life part's even more powerful. Jesus dying on the cross is powerful, but Jesus resurrecting is even more powerful. So then he goes on to say, he says, he says not only this, but we boast in God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have what? All have sin, right? He goes on to talk about the, the, the relationship between the law and sin, saying that sin was in the world even before the law was given. Even before the law of Moses, sin reigned. Sin reigned. Darkness reigned is what he's saying. He says in verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought what? justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, right? By the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for how many people? All people. Isn't this good stuff? One man messed it up, one man made it right. 
One man, you know, basically comes and, and makes a choice that, that, that causes death to reign, darkness to reign over the earth. Then one man comes with his one righteous act, and now the light has been given. And now we all receive justification. Consequently, in verse 18, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also the righteous act, the one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man. I love this. The obedience of how many men? One man. Through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase, but where sin has increased, grace has increased all the more. Listen to what the Word of God is saying. You might not like the way this sounds, but this is exactly what Paul is saying. You cannot outsin God's grace. You cannot outsin His love. You can't do anything that's so bad that God's like, Calvary can't fix that. God knows why you're a sinner. It wasn't even your choice. You were born into it. So God said, I know that's not fair. So I'm going to do something that's also equally not fair. Against your will, I'm going to justify you. Against your will, I'm going to redeem you. Against your will, I'm going to reconcile you. Against your will, I'm going to pronounce you innocent even though you're guilty. Against your will, I'm going to accept the death on your behalf. Against your will. It wasn't your decision that Adam made at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but it is my decision to crush the head of the serpent. We talked about this last night in John chapter 1. The light comes into the world and the darkness would not overcome it. And so Jesus came here for you. When they came to take, take Christ in the Garden of Eden, I mean the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 53. Christ says, why did you come to me like I'm a criminal? Why did you come to me as if I'm starting a rebellion? I taught openly. You could have gotten me any time, but why now? And then Christ says these words in Luke 22, verse 53. I know why because this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Where are you, Adam and Eve? Who told you you were naked? Why are you ashamed? I know why. Darkness reigns. Because of the choice that Adam and Eve made, we now live in a world that is unfair, totally unfair. There are things that have happened to you that you had no responsibility for. Parents, there are things you have done to your kids they do not deserve. There were things that were done to you when you were children that you didn't deserve. And you can trace it back to your parents' parents and their parents' parents. We live in a world that is unfair and unreasonable. And we get angry with God as if it's his fault, as if God is controlling all this. But would it Christ say, I know why this is happening. It's your hour when darkness reigns. People don't like when I say this. And I know why they don't like it when I say it, but I'm going to say it. And if you don't like it, don't worry, I'll be gone after tomorrow. 
People like to say this all the time, don't worry, God is in control. I said, no, he's not. He turned that over to us, and then we turned it over to the prince of darkness. And when Christ came, he says, I've come so that I can overthrow the ruler of this world. Paul calls calls him the God of this age. You think homelessness is God being in control? If God was in control, would there be homelessness? If God was in control, would there be divorce? If God was in control, would there be murder? Molestation? Rape? If God was in control, would there be a hungry person on this earth? If God was in control, would there be war? If God was in control, you think he'd be nailed to a cross? You think that's what he wants? You think that's his plan? You think God sent a dream to Pilate's wife saying, have nothing to do with this man because God was in control? The parable goes like this. The master of the vineyard leaves his tenants in charge of it and then sends his servants to check on his vineyard. And what do the tenants of the vineyard do? They beat them up. He sends more servants. The servants are beat up. These are the prophets. He sends more, and they beat him up some more. Finally, the master says, I'll send them my only son. Surely they will respect him. Surely I get it. Moses had a bad temper. I get it. Noah, when he went through tough times, would get drunk. I get it. Job also lost his temper. I get it. I get it. Surely, surely if I send my son. In the past, I spoke through prophets and other people, but now I'm sending my son, who is the perfect radiance we learned last night, the perfect radiance of who I am. I will send him, and surely after seeing him, they'll respect. They'll respect him. You want to know what we did? We crucified him. No. If God was in control, Adam and Eve would have never sinned. God is not controlling. That's what the devil does. God does not manipulate. That's what the devil does. What God does from the book of Genesis all the way out through through Revelation, God entrusts us. Moses, lead my people. God, they're your people. You do it. Trust in you. The reason why darkness reigns is because we allow it. The reason why there are hungry people on planet Earth is not God's fault. It's our fault. How could you allow this, God? And he turns to us and says, how could you allow this? How could you allow it? Lord, I'm praying for my marriage. I'm praying for my marriage, Lord, and and, and my husband's still going to walk out on me. Why aren't you doing anything about it? You think I'm making this happen? Well, I pray to you. You can stop him. What do you want me to do? Hit him on the head with a hammer? You want me to chain him up to your bed? What do you want me to do? Well, you can just, like, change his heart. Oh, do it against his will. Can I do that with you? Is that okay? Because that's one way I can stop you from drinking. Can I do that with you right now? Can I do something against your will? Can I stop you from sinning from this point on? Can I? Do you give me permission to stop you and force you and enslave you to do exactly as I wish? Are you okay with that? Well, not me, Lord. Just the bad people, but not you as a bad person. Just them. things happen because we live in a world where darkness reigns. And if we don't like it, then do something about it. So Jesus came to break the reign of darkness. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, that Jesus was sent into this world. Actually, turn there with me. We'll close on this. We'll close on this. I already went over the time. That the thing started flashing a long time ago. I don't even know why you're trying to give me 30 minutes. It ain't going to happen. But let's, let's read this real quick. Let's read this real quick. I want to say this is the last verse. I may, I may sneak in one more, but let's just, let's just read this. We're, we're, we're wrapping up. For sure in five minutes. Is that a good promise to make on the Sabbath? You can't lie on the Sabbath, right? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. Verse 19. This is important stuff here. So I, want, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Verse 19 says this, for God was pleased to have his, all of his fullness dwell in him, who is Jesus, right? Think about this. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in his son. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the perfect radiance of the father. Perfect, right? For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself how many things? All things. Now watch this. All things where? whether on earth or where? In heaven. Through the death of Jesus, he reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Christ came to break the power of darkness, to to turn the lights on so that we could really see and we could make this decision. Who do we trust? Darkness reigns when we continue to trust the path of sin. So Christ comes, and it's not his decision to be crucified. It was our decision, and he accepted our choice. Don't, don't mistake in that. I know, I know, you've been taught the plan of salvation, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all got together. They huddled up and said, hey, listen, we got to save man. How can we do it? Oh, man, it should be really dramatic. Like, how dramatic? Like, I don't know, like nails and blood, crown of thorns, all this stuff. And, and then, oh, yeah, let's make Judas but, you know, uh, betray and make Peter deny. And then we'll get somebody that will condemn us. to All this will be, all this will be powerful. And this is the way we can show that we love him. That is not how God chose to save us. Christ even said it himself, no one takes my life, I give it up. You can't kill God. Just because Christ died on the cross doesn't mean that the cross killed him. He's the one that chose to give up the spirit, right? No one takes my life, I give it up and I'll take it back. Christ could have died in a rocking chair. Christ would have died in the garden of Gethsemane had Gabriel not come to comfort him. He even said it, my spirit is sorrowful even unto death. He was shedding blood even in the garden of Gethsemane before any nail pierced his flesh. The act of salvation, saving us, redeeming us, did not require our participation. God could have shown up and simply just said, spirit, leave me, and he would have felt the excruciating pain of separation from the Father. But we wanted it to be more dramatic. We wanted the blood. We wanted the crown of thorns. We cried out, crucify him. That was our choice. And I know you'll tell me, but pastor, he prophesied it had to happen. That means that's a God's will. No, 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 no. Just because God knows something's going to happen doesn't mean he wants it to happen. Are you listening? Just because God planned for something does not mean that God actually planned it. Are you understanding that? Like you planned for rain, but you actually did not plan the rain, right? You planned for rain, but you didn't actually force the rain to come down. You just knew the forecast. Just because God read the script to the passion of the Christ did not mean that he wrote the script. 
So he comes into this world that's full of darkness. And John 17, 3 and 4 say this, for this is eternal life that you may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And verse 4 says this, for father, I have come into this world. I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have glorified you here on earth. Now glorify me. Give me the same glory I had when I was in heaven. Christ says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And he says this before Calvary. I have finished the work you, Father, gave me to do. But now it's time for me to finish another work that the enemy, where darkness reigns, has given me. You have given me a work, Father, to live, because there is more power in life than in death. Christ spent 33 years living, six hours dying. Which one do you think is more important? If all Christ had to do was die, he could have showed up one hour on earth and said, Rome, I'm the next Messiah. They would have crucified him. But you wouldn't have known who he was. You wouldn't have seen the fullness of God. And you wouldn't have trusted him anymore. You just would have thought he was a crazy guy that got crucified. But God wanted his fullness to dwell in his son so that you can learn to trust God. And that is the only way for darkness not to reign. Who do you trust? If you trust God, then marriages should be healed. If you trust God, both of you, there should be reconciliation. If you trust God, then we should end world hunger. So who do you trust? Auntie Ellen says in Desire of Ages that it was not apparent to all the angels what sin really was until Calvary. She says that some angels hadn't even made up their mind until the cross. Some that were still living in heaven, cool with God and also cool with Lucifer, like, yo, bro, I saw your speech the other day, man. It was fire. But at the cross, this is what they said to the devil, hell no. Because all things were reconciled, whether on earth or in heaven. So now you're at the tree. Not just the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of Calvary. What is your decision tonight? Do you want this to be the hour where darkness reigns? Are you ready for light to overcome the darkness? Who do you trust? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the challenge that you give us. Father, I know there are people here, and I am in the midst, I am among them, that are tired of darkness reigning. They want their marriages healed and restored. Not because that's what brings them happiness. No, no. But because they love. 
and they're tired of darkness reigning. There's relationships between parents and children that also need reconciliation. And they're tired of darkness reigning. Father, we're so sorry for always blaming you for every bad thing that happens. Sometimes we wish you were a control freak and just stop all the evil from happening, but we realize that if you were to do that, you'd be no better than the devil himself, controlling and manipulating situations. But that's not how you are, Father. You don't want to manipulate. You want your character to influence, and that is far different. You want your character to inspire, and that's what moves us. You want your fullness as it dwelt within Christ to also dwell within us. So, Father, we stand at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And although we didn't make that choice 6,000 years ago like Adam, we realize there's a choice before us right now. And we choose the knowledge of you, for this is eternal life, that we may know you. We stand in front of the tree, the cross on Calvary, and we see the blood that was shed, not because that's the way that you wanted it to go down, but because of our hatred and our jealousy and our fear. That's what we did, and you accepted our choice for you. Father, thank you. Christ, thank you for taking our anger, taking all of our darkness, all of our pain, all of our frustration, and channeling it into something that we see resurrected in the life of Christ. We stand at the tree of the cross and we choose to be reconciled. We don't want darkness reigning anymore. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for being so upset at the, in the Garden of Eden that you said you would not let your babies go. Nothing would separate us from your love. Thank you for pursuing us even though we ran. You are earning our trust as we pray. In Jesus' name.